Hi there. Are you looking for stories that'll make you think, that's fucked? Well, do we have good news for you? Welcome to That's Fucked, a bi-weekly podcast about fucked up things that people do and nature creates. I'm your host, Melissa. And I'm your host, Corey. And Corey was doing an amazing head bobble. I was, because I was imagining this is where music goes. Head bob, head bob, head bob, head bob. Uh, this is why we're friends. <laughs> and then I realized, I was like, I don't know if she's looking. I'm going to keep doing it till she sees I, it. So here I we go. I definitely see it out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> I was like, so I'm just going to keep doing it and hopefully Melissa breaks. Okay, flashback. Do you remember when we were in theater history and I really didn't want to have any lines? So I was that weird side character and you were like, whatever. You're like, I am the Eggman. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like standing next to you and I just start bobbing my head because I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. uh, What was that? It was a water bear something something. I don't don't know. Yeah, something like that. It was definitely one of the ones where it's like, I am who I'm supposed to be or I don't remember. It was definitely a Greek tragedy. Who fucking cares? The wine bears? No. I don't remember much of theater history. Great. Moving on. (laughs) I especially don't remember, like, to that point of theater history, because I had written so many, like, bullshitty scripts at that point, because I always was the one who wrote them, except once. I think once. Was it you that wrote it? Yeah. It was um, Othello. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, I didn't read it. (laughs) Don't tell Jim. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember saying it out loud to Jim. <laughs> Wait, he's black? Yeah, that's the whole fucking point. <laughs> but I just wrote all of the bullshitty scripts. So at that point in time, I had just hit a wall of I was just going to say whatever. Mm. Because if it popped into my mind at 3 a.m. as some sort of like relation to it, I, I just am put the it in there. <laughs> I was just like, ah, yes, this long script about things that I don't care about and sounds like gobbledygook in this monologue of I am such and such son of blah, 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 and I will blah, 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 and I'm like, I'm going to condense this to a Beatles song. Great. Uh, now that I've completely distracted us, this week on the podcast, Corey advises us to party so hard we wake the dead. And Melissa tells us one more reason to vaccinate your kids. Corey, what do you have for me this week? So, this week, I am going to talk to you about the tradition of wakes. Okay, that sounds super depressing. It's actually not very depressing, because wakes were pretty poppin'. Because I know you love it when I say poppin'. (laughs) I don't know why. It's funny, because I'll be like, in my own head, walk, and I'll see a lot of people be like, Pop it over there. Why is this in my head now? 
I love it so much. I'm so glad that it's infected you. It has. It's not even normally a part of my vernacular. It's just something I use to ironically talk about the scene on Instagram because you hated it. (laughs) And so now I just use it. And it's got to the point where it was to be used ironically, and now it's just being used, and I'm just like, where have I gone wrong? Irony is a tricky fucker. It is, it is. Eventually it gets us all. All right, Corey, tell me about some dead people. Sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The definition of a wake is a ritual performed by mourners following the death of a loved one, which is traditionally associated with Western culture. Sorry, my brain just went, wake, mourner, you wake in the morning. Ah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was like, there's a pun in here somewhere. But, um, I did not execute it properly. But you found it, and that's all that matters. Found it. You yep. have completed your duty of finding all the puns. So the wake that we most closely associate with what we know of as wakes now is an Irish wake. Mm -hmm. And this actually predates Christianity and is considered to have a Celtic origin. And it's possibly born of the fear of spirits and what they could do to the living if they're angry about their death or just generally pissed off. And the Anglo-Saxons called this a lich wake or a like wake from the Anglo-Saxon word like, which means corpse. That's L-I-C. Oh, okay. Not like like Yeah, not like like the thing that I say every three seconds. Do you like me or do you like like me? <laughs> Check yes or no. <laughs> or maybe if I really want to like hedge my bets. <laughs> I just love the stress and mystery of it all. <laughs> You're probably never going to return this. <laughs> the teacher's going to catch it instead and it's going to be super awkward. Yep. The other possible reasons why is it was just a functional event due to the fact that you can think someone's dead especially you know before modern medicine because you can have no heartbeat or not be breathing and still be alive yep that's where the fear of getting buried alive comes from this is where the fear of getting buried alive comes from and And all the following weird contraptions after that there's i will get to those eventually but not in this particular episode that is an another day Okay. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. It will be another day, though. This is just about wakes. Fine. During the famine years in Ireland, and even before that, during a lot of cholera outbreaks and epidemics. Mm. Cholera! Mm-hmm. Cholera, shout out. They had to hastily bury people due to the diseases, so then there were many documented cases of people waking up while buried alive, and Ooh. they would try to, like, scratch their way out. And they know this because they would find people with, like, bloodied fingernails and nails and, like, scratch marks on the coffins. Uh, Some actually would partially succeed, like, break through the coffins only to be, like, buried by dirt further and suffocate. So Mm. I couldn't find anything about someone who actually made it, like, fully out, though people think that this might be the origin of, like, vampires as well as the idea of like rising back from the grave and like people who were buried alive and then clawed their way out like vampires and zombies and stuff like that mm-hmm. so. fun fact there's definitely an episode of lore and actually there's also an episode of new england legends that's a short like less than 15 minute bit about this one guy 
who has like pretty much a window down into his coffin to make sure he's dead. <laughs> yeah. So if you want, you can also listen to that episode when you cover it. Because they also list a bunch of other contraptions that people made in case they were actually alive. Yeah. I was going to do an episode on grave bells and talk about all of that stuff when I talked about grave bells because that's enough to cover a while. Yep. Okay. So some people even claim that the wake has origins in the Jewish custom of leaving the sepulcher, which is the burial chamber, open for three days before sealing it to ensure that the person is actually dead and allow people to, like, come and pay their respects. Okay. Sounds legit. Yep. And so there are also some fake kind of folklore reasons why that people have given. They say that it came about because of lead poisoning and pewtered tankards, which were usually used to hold, like, beer and wine. Mm. And that it would force someone to enter a catatonic state that resembled death. And it could last for hours or days. And thus, people would set for three days to see if they would wake up from this catatonic state, if it was just lead poisoning or if they were actually dead. Mm. Other people, which is probably folklore, think that it's because there are three birthdays for an Irish Catholic. Their actual birth, their uh-huh. baptism, which okay. is their rebirth into Christianity, and then their death, which is when they're birthed into their eternal life. And that their death is a cause for celebration, thus the way. <laughs> okay. You know, I get as it. you do. It's funny. Yeah. So before Christianity, they just had two births? Before Christianity, they would just have birth and death, I think. Great. <laughs> like everyone else. So the ancient version of Awake, the corpse was placed either under or on top of a table with a plate of salt on its chest. And whenever it was placed under the table, people would serve liquor on top of the table to each other and would just like hang out and drink. Well, watching the corpse. And they would place candles around the corpse. And uh, they would then wait the night in some sort of like revelry or party. And they became these massive, as (laughs) one resource said, a drinking orgy. Mmm. Ah, yes. (laughs) You have died. Time for the drinking orgy. Yeah. They were loud and boisterous purposefully so that they would wake the dead. So the Ah. whole idea there. yeah was to be loud enough to wake the dead in case you know they weren't dead they would also play games so there became like traditional games to play at wakes and for some reason many of these required people to be naked as you do as you do so- you gotta scare the person away you know it's like <laughs> With your nudity and then they just see some random Balls that are like, ah! And then you know that they're alive. I mean, if I saw random balls, I would scream too. (laughs) I think anyone who sees random balls would probably be very upset and scream. Yeah, same. So one of the games that I remember, since I can't find the website, was called Boat in the Mud or something like that. Like, find the, the boat in the mud. I don't... It's weird. But it definitely required people to be naked. Like, everyone playing to be naked. And then other ones required women to dress up as men and, like, kind of, like, switch gender roles and be in charge and stuff like that. We love doing that. We do love doing that, though. Fuck you and your gender stereotypes. Women will do it, too. Power. Power to you. 
But these seem to be more of a way to kind of let out pent up societal frustrations for Catholics than to actually have anything to do with dead people. What? Societal expectations causing people stress? Well, I never. (laughs) That's not what leads to the entire, like, culture of weird Japanese game shows, which will be another topic, but... Oh, dear. Yeah, weird Japanese game shows. They're thrilling and a part of business culture. All right. So what actually happens in Wakes now kind of follows the same basic structure, although there are variations from different areas and, like, different religious practices and just how traditional they have the wake or how modern they have it. So typically some sort of prayer is said for the deceased and then the body is prepared. So it will be, would have been the adding of like salt to the chest in ancient times, but now they like wash the body with holy water by a person who's designated the handy woman. And you have to be like trained to do this, I guess. I've been trained to wash dead bodies. Yeah, like prepare them. And then if they're male, she'll also shave them. And then she dresses them in a sort of linen shroud after removing all their clothing. And Mm. this is said to signify like leaving behind their worldly materialism. Mm. And it's called being laid out. Literally. Yeah, literally laid out. And so if they're Catholic, a rosary is wound around the hands and laid on the chest. Mm. Now they prepare them in beds or coffins instead of tables. But just like before, the body can't be left alone until the wake is over. There must be someone in the room watching it at all times. Staring directly at it. Staring directly at it. They also, some people will cover mirrors and stop clocks at the time of death. Mirrors have a couple reasons why. Some people think that the spirit can get trapped in it. Other people think that it is, again, the whole like getting rid of worldly things because we use mirrors to look at our physical form and our bodies and like have a sort of like pride in ourselves and the way we look. And so they're trying to keep that away because they don't need that anymore. Mm hmm. Some will also leave a window open to allow the spirit to leave, and no one is allowed to stand between the body and that window until the wake is over. Otherwise, you're going to get possessed, and then we've got a whole different problem. Then we have a whole nother Catholic problem. (laughs) Sure is. I specifically call it a Catholic problem. I'm pretty sure you can get possessed if you're not Catholic. But, like, we make a big deal about it if you are Catholic. It's a Catholic problem because I've never known of any cases where someone has had, like, possession problems who isn't Catholic or at least doesn't predominantly, like, believe in Catholicism in some Um, way, shape, or form as, like, a thing. I'm pretty sure I have. But we usually only, like, talk about the Catholic ones because Catholics like to make big deals about everything. That's true. Okay. Moving on. Some people will also place candles around the body, like mm-hmm. just completely around, and some will only place them at the four corners of the coffin, whether the body is in it or not. And those four candles are to remain lit until the body is being taken to the church for burial. So okay. they just are supposed to stay lit. Don't know why. They're supposed to stay lit. What if they get knocked over? Well, you better keep those bitches lit. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> and my, my like... 
Oh, we just get fucking wax everywhere and it would fucking suck. It would. It would, though. The other thing that people do is they have a practice called keening. So there will be Oh, keeners. I heard about this. Yeah, who are people who will wail for the dead. This is traditionally <laughs> women. <laughs> and you gotta some, get that money somehow. Yeah, exactly. Some say this is associated to the legend of the Banshee who came mm. screaming when people were just like about to die. But it's no longer a common practice. Back in the day, whenever it was big, though, they would hire professional mourners to come and, like, make a big to-do so they could all, like, fuck off and go drink and have a good time. And, like, other people could just be there yelling and screaming and crying. And the more mourners or keeners that you had, like, the more important you were. And it was supposed to be more the more unexpected or tragic the death was, the more keeners there were. So then after all of this hullabaloo is done, the family then spends time just literally waiting. And during that time, they do what people do. They eat, they drink, they tell stories, usually about the deceased, like good memories, funny stories, Mm -hmm. things like that. This is whenever back in the day they would play those ridiculous games and they would have their drinking orgies. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So a full meal is also typically served. And it's during this time that visitors can come and, you know, visit with the family and pay their respects to the deceased. Modern wakes are much more somber and respectful than their previous counterparts. They adhere mostly to the idea of wearing darker colors, you know, keeping your voice low, being quiet, respecting other people who are mourning. And, you know, you can still tell like nice stories and people still eat. Typically, alcohol isn't served as much now, although Mm -hmm. there are some that that there are like if it's like something that the deceased really liked, sometimes they'll request that that serves stuff like that. But this shift to kind of a more somber, moderate version of the wake is considered due to Christianity. And they're not condoning the, like, revelry in the traditional wakes. They didn't like the drinking orgies. So they're just like, you got to tone it down there. Got to tone it down. Tone it down, you little fool. Yeah. Shut up. But... Modern wakes uh, and traditional wakes even are falling out of practice altogether, and people are opting more to have a service at a, and a viewing at a funeral home, followed by like a small gathering of food and like friends and family talking at their home following the service versus having this like big thing of the body at the home, whether they died elsewhere at a hospital or in the home, they mm-hmm. would bring the body back to the home and have all of this and then go through the wake. Since that's a lot and is complicated and is just not really necessary anymore because modern medicine, we definitely know whenever someone's dead, like Mm -hmm. we can pretty solidly know that they're dead. Yeah. It's not really needed. So people are just kind of foregoing that and going with funeral home services and viewings. Yeah. So that's the craziness that is awake where you party all night long with a dead guy. Party and party and yeah. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Oh, wow. That was great. You like my little. Yeah, your little like fish gill hands. Those were exciting. But it goes up instead of out. Yes. Those were pretty great. They were like a combination of spirit fingers, jazz hands, and fish gills. So, Melissa, what do you, what do you want to tell me about? Because you need this grand intro opening to talk to me, apparently. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> Maybe I just won't acknowledge the fact that you're that, and I'll just sit here and stare at you so that way you have to cut it out. I mean, I can just cut out the stare in silence. I can cut that out too. <laughs> I know you can. All right, I'll start. <clears throat> Located in New Orleans, Louisiana, one of many churches and cemeteries is the St. Rock Chapel and Cemetery. Near the back of the cemetery stands a small two-room building. In the main room is an altar with the statue of St. Rock and his small doggo companion. In the other room is the reason for the chapel's nickname, Chapel of Prosthetics. This room is filled with ex-votos left by patrons. Ex-voto is a short term for the Latin term ex-voto suscepto. Which means, from the vow made. So this room is filled with offerings left in hopes of receiving a miracle to cure them of whatever ails them. Some examples of these offerings include polio braces, false teeth, and of course, many prosthetic appendages. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's a little weird when you look at it because it's like, they're like weird looking prosthetics. Like, you didn't expect them to look like that, but I guess... That's just what they were at the time. Hmm. Yep. This chapel was founded in 1876 by Reverend Peter Thevis in a dedication to St. Rock. St. Rock was born in 1348 and is known as the patron saint of good health. And you're going to really hate this. Uh, so basically, he was a minister to plague victims in Italy. Then he contracted the Black Death. So he did what was most natural when you have the plague and he hid in the forest. But there was, like, this small dog that would bring him food and licked his wounds, and then suddenly he was healed, and that made him a saint. That sounds legit. Yeah, if anything, the doggo is, like, the saint because he licked the guy and cured him. But Yeah, the know. dog is the good one. The, the, the other guy just, like, benefited from the magical fucking poodle. All he did was hide in the forest. Yeah. As usual, though, a man gets the credit whenever someone else does the work. I'm not but saying like, the dog is female, but, like, the dude gets the credit for someone else doing a thing. Yeah. All right. So why did Reverend Peter Thevis dedicate his chapel to the saint of good health? Well, it was in token of appreciation because no one in his congregation died during one of the deadly outbreaks of yellow fever in the 1860s. So clearly it was a thing that had to do with this guy. No one died, so clearly it's because of him. Well, right? when you have a religion and... A thing happens and, like, there's a saint who, like, does that thing. And we'll just thank him, you know? Okay. To me, it's, like, think about in Greek mythology how we have, like, we have Zeus and then we have, like, all the other gods for dedicated things. Like, we have Aphrodite, the goddess of yeah. love and beauty. Like, yeah, yeah. to me, it's, like, Zeus is, like, God and then all the saints are, like, the other little deities. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, yeah, I get the general idea of saints. I just think it's funny that this random thing happens and it's just like, ah, yes, clearly. Clearly. I don't know, I guess. It's this dude who got licked by a dog. I, okay, so I'm not talking about any of that. The whole point of this was to introduce yellow fever. Okay. Which is the actual topic that I'm going to be talking about. Okay. So, yellow fever is a viral infection that is spread by mosquitoes. It is characterized by high fever and jaundice. 
which means you start looking kind of yellow, like when your liver and kidneys start stop working. Symptoms of yellow fever tend to occur within three to six days after being exposed to the virus. It seems that yellow fever is separated into two phases. The first phase is known as the acute phase, which lasts three to four days with symptoms like headaches, muscle pain, joint pain, fever, loss of appetite, shivers, backaches, and flushing, which I just, I think just means you look red. Yeah, it's like whenever your cheeks like get really, really red or like your nose gets red, you like yeah. blushing, but that's like, what, it's like I your literally face. had never heard of it called flushing. Like, really? yes, you look a little flush, but like. Oh, flush. never with like the active verb with an I yeah. on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's what threw me. Mm-hmm. If you survive this phase, you'll probably be fine. However, the next phase is the worst part and is fatal. It's cleverly called the toxic phase, where you get to experience more fun symptoms like decreased urination, abdominal pain, vomiting, maybe with blood, heart rhythm problems, seizures, delirium, and bleeding from the eyes, nose, and mouth. Oh, man. Do I love a good eyes, nose, and mouth bleed? Mmm. It really gets my blood moving. Yellow fever is thought to have been brought to the Western Hemisphere and the Americas through the slave trade. Spread of the disease became a vicious cycle, so ships leaving from Europe would head to Africa to kidnap black people and force them into slavery. As one does. It, yeah, obviously. No, 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 no. Take that back. The ships would then depart from Africa, carrying not only abducted human beings, but the species Aedes aegypti, a type of mosquito that not only thrives in tropical or subtropical climates, but is a carrier of yellow fever. Hmm. So the next stop along the vicious cycle is, would be either the Caribbean, where black people were sold to work on sugar plantations, or to various port cities in America, such as Philadelphia, Norfolk, Virginia, and New Orleans, where they were sold into more slavery of like cotton plantations and such. Great. Humans are wonderful. Yep. And then once those areas were properly infected with yellow fever, the ships would sail back to Europe with goods to sell and some fun infected people with them. Whoo! Yay, yep. infection! <laughs> Obviously. See, if you had <laughs> just left people alone in Africa, we wouldn't have yellow fever all over the goddamn place. But you exactly. know. Exactly. You know, maybe some- this is what you get for being assholes. So put that in your deity pipe and smoke it (laughs) put that in your deity pipe and smoke it that is the catchphrase of the day sure smoke it put that in your deity pipe and smoke it it's a long title but it's good cool keep going In the summer of 1793, an outbreak of yellow fever occurred in Philadelphia when a ship of refugees arrived from the Caribbean. They were fleeing from an outbreak of yellow fever there. It got to the point where up to 100 people were dying per day. This put a strain on public resources to the point where the local government collapsed and the federal government had to evacuate the city. The casualties did not slow down until the fall when the weather began to drop and it was too cold for the mosquitoes to breed. A total of 5,000 people, roughly 9% of the population, had died because of yellow fever. That sucks. Also, the book uh, Fever 1793 is apparently about the yellow fever outbreak in Philadelphia. I never read it, 
but it came across in some of my notes and I was like, ah, yes, I, I remember some people reading that in school. Mm. Did you read I it? I did not. Nope. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's, it's a, it's a book that is just like a close up of a person's face and they're looking kind of weirdish, yellowy green. Nope. Okay. Haven't seen it. Didn't read it. To be fair, I went to super, if this was like an elementary or early middle, I went to a super Christian school for a long time. And then. And they just didn't talk about disease. No, it's just we didn't have books that were, like, not religious books. I'm sorry. If you had just left it as, we didn't have books. We mostly didn't have books. Like, we had, like, pretty much only religious books and then a a few of the, like, classic books. Like, we had Treasure Island and, like, Robinson Crusoe and, like, a few of the, the very, very, like, classic golden books. And that was that was pretty much it. We didn't have like a library library. Oh. We just had like a shelf in each teacher's classroom and they kind of had like books that were appropriate to their grade level. That was it. Welcome to Christian okay. schools in Florida. They're not regulated at all. All right. Well, I'm just going to get back to my topic then. <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee had its own pile of yellow fever outbreaks in 1828, 1855. 1867, 1873, and probably the worst in 1878. The outbreak of 1878 was blamed on the mild winter, long spring, and swelting summer, which is ideal weather conditions for mosquito breeding. So Florida. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you had your own pile of yellow fever outbreaks. Oh, I'm sure, because we have mosquitoes fucking everywhere. When the first cases started to pop up, roughly 25,000 people had fled the city. The fever had swept through the city, infecting more than 17,000 people and claiming the lives of more than 5,500 people. This outbreak put so much financial strain on Memphis that the legislature had revoked its city charter, city charter in 1879. This outbreak led to sanitation reform to create new sewer system and a better water supply, which helped cut down on the outbreaks of yellow fever. There you go. And outbreaks of other things, too. Memphis definitely wasn't the only city that had suffered in 1878. In fact, the entire Mississippi River Valley suffered greatly, with 120,000 cases of yellow fever and up to 20,000 deaths. This outbreak had originated in New Orleans, and with the invention of the steamboat, traveled all up the Mississippi River. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1881, Cuban physician Carlos Finlay developed a theory that the disease was being spread by mosquitoes. He tested his theory by letting mosquitoes bite patients infected with yellow fever, then letting the mosquito bite a subject who would later show signs of yellow fever. That's terrible! Science, man. You gotta do some shitty stuff for science. No, that's, that's not true, though. They did some shitty things for science. Yes, they did them. However, it wasn't until the 1900s when his theory was finally taken seriously. Led by Major Walter Reed, the Yellow Fever Commission used 30 male volunteers to test as test subjects to prove Finlay's theory. So basically, they did the same exact thing. So, wait, what time was, like, what year was this? Cuban physician developed his theory in 1881. Yeah, the second one with the volunteers. That was in the year 1900. So I said 1900s, but that was a lie. It was the year 1900. Okay, so volunteers. Were these actually, like, volunteers? 
Yes, it was supposed to be. I think I read it was like soldiers and like civilians and like other type of workers who actually legitimately volunteered. Or at least that's what they made it sound like. Yeah, sure. I highly doubt they're going to be like, hey, we're going to infect you with this deadly disease that's going to probably kill you. Uh, So volunteer for it. Here's the thing. Only 15% of people who go into that toxic phase are the ones who die from yellow fever. So, like, pretty much everyone had yellow fever. It was just the ones that, like, went into the toxic phase that died. Yeah, but, like, you're gonna still take that gamble? Yeah. Like, you know, you could die from it. I'm pretty sure you can get anyone to test anything if there's financial compensation. It didn't say that there was, but it also didn't say that there wasn't. That's valid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, the commission started a mosquito control program in Cuba, which included improved sanitation, fumigation with insecticides, and a reduction of standing water areas where mosquitoes would would breed. Yes. With these steps taken, the cases of yellow fever dropped drastically. Oh, good. These methods were eventually used in the Panama Canal, where up to 85% of workers were dying from either yellow fever or malaria. Oof. Yep. It was Dr. William Gorgas who convinced Teddy Roosevelt to grant funding to the effort of curbing the number of yellow fever victims in the Panama Canal. During the summer of 1905, Georges and 4,000 workers spent a year working to stop mosquitoes from laying eggs. Their efforts included fumigating homes with insecticides, placing screens in front of windows and doors, and spraying sanding water with oil. And then finally, a vaccine was developed in 1936 by Matt Fillier, who was able to develop the vaccine by using tissue cultures made from embryonic chicken eggs. Okay. It is fun to point out, though, that the vaccine is not a cure. There's not a cure for yellow fever, but there is a vaccine that you should take if you're going to travel to areas where they have high rates of yellow fever. Mm. So think about that before you go. And that's like areas like Africa and South Bolivia. And Central America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean. There's so much more information about yellow fever that I just basically cut it out and stuck to those two major points of Philadelphia and Memphis and the Mississippi River Valley. And fun fact, yellow fever was known as the American Plague. Oh, great. Yep. End of story. Hmm. Oh, wait. It had other fun nicknames. Let me see if I can find them. Okay. It had the fun nicknames Yellow Jack and Bronze John, which I have no idea why. Bronze John. Did it make your John bronze? Like I said, I have no idea. (laughs) Made your junk brown. (laughs) Well, brownish. I don't want to comment on that at all. Uh, yep. Cool. All I mean, right, not Corey. cool. It kind of sucks, but you know, yellow fever. Vaccines, though. Vaccinate Vaccine. your children. Vaccinate your fucking children. <laughs> Vaccinate your crotch goblins. Oh God! Why did you feel <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me, rough, like dancing around that point to like. Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Without me blatantly saying, vaccinate your kids. Yo, like, it's so crazy that I have seen ads 
on streaming services. So like there's ads on Hulu asking people to vaccinate their children. Like that's a thing. We have to make commercials saying that you should vaccinate your children because otherwise they will die. And it's only you who can stop them from dying. Yeah, you're one responsibility of a par- as a parent. I mean, after giving them life, is to make sure they keep that life. Yeah, like, like don't let them die. And you'd be amazing at like the death rates of simple diseases that we have vaccines for. Oh yeah, it's stupid. Why? Well, yeah. I mean, mostly the death rates for the things that we have vaccines for is because a healthy person doesn't get vaccinated and then they pass it to an unhealthy person who can't get vaccinated because they're too unhealthy to get vaccinated and then they die. So. Vicious cycle. Yep. Slave trade. Uh, <laughs> so, Corey. Similar. Where can I find us? You can find us on Facebook at That's Fucked Podcast. That's fucked with F-C-K-E-D. We are also on Instagram at the same, which is That's Fucked Podcast. You can email us. You can oh. email us at that's fucked podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any topics that you would like us to cover, as well as if you have any corrections, any like fun facts, if you've had any encounters with any of the things that we've talked about or like personal stories. We'd love to hear them. And we'll make sure to go ahead and either talk about those things or tell your story. Unless you ask us not to tell it, then we won't tell it because we're good at keeping secrets. But we'll tell each other and we'll only talk to each other about it. Yes, I will make sure to convey it to Melissa. And if Melissa sees it, she'll convey it to me. It'll be fun. Yeah. Also, if you are listening on a platform that has a rating system, especially Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and rate and comment below. We want to know what's your favorite color and what your pet do. Yeah. Do you have pets? Are they cute? Do they have a Send favorite color? Picture. Send us a picture. Email us oh, a photo of then, your pets. And then we'll put it on our Instagram so that way everyone can see a picture of your pet. And we'll put it on our social media feeds and I'll talk about what a good little thing it is. And I'll be like, oh, it's so cute. And I've just got on to do Yeah. It was like she was trying to eat the idea of your pet. Yes, I was trying was to eat great. the idea of the cuteness, and yes. I just could not get enough of it. <laughs> so good. I don't know if you guys could tell, but Corey and I are both very tired. Oh, have so stayed tired. up pretty late last night. I've done so much editing, guys, because I'm about to go on vacation, so I'm trying to get all this together before I go on vacation. Yep, and I'm just slapping my notes together at 3 a.m. because I'm a heathen. Yeah. Don't be like me. Unless you're an an actual legit night owl. Don't procrastinate. (laughs) (laughs) That's my problem, is I procrastinate. I'm like, that'll be fine, I'll do it later, and then I'll have more motive to get it done because I'll have less time, so I'll work faster. But that's not how that works. (laughs) It's not motivation that you have, you have stress. Yeah. And anxiety. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's it. Which is not a good motivator. You know, it's fueled me for however long I've been on this earth thus far. I don't even know my age anymore. It's about to increase in a month, so. It's true. I don't. And to figure it out would be math, so I am not doing that. (laughs) I'm Melissa Zaccardi. And I've been Corey Blythe. And that 
was fucked. Theme music is by Daniel J. Pepin. He can be found on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Spotify. He also so happens to be my boyfriend. So, um, thanks, babe.